0: Welcome to There is a Method to the Madness. My name is Rob Maxwell, and I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs, and I've been in business since 1994. That is a long time, a good long time. Enjoyed every minute of it. Today's podcast is called Don't Let the Tail Wag the Dog. This podcast is brought to you by Jonathan and Lynn Gilden of the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. They currently have over 275 starter views on Zillow. If you need any help looking for a new place to live or work, or if you're trying to sell yours, give them a shout. I will put all of their information in the show notes. All right. Have you ever heard the term, don't let the tail wag the dog? i've always enjoyed the term and i use it a lot in training and i'm going to explain what it means in this context so in the method to the madness as you all know i get into the science behind things i get into why things work and maybe some of the things we hear we need to question a little bit so a lot of times in training I find that people are kind of, um, kind of putting the cart before the horse, so to say. You know, they're letting the tail wag the dog. And let me try to explain that. One of the things that we use in training is an exercise prescription. And the exercise prescription
1: ordinarily
0: is fit. F I T T. There's other variables in an exercise prescription, but this one is kind of neat, sweet, and pretty. You know, fit sounds kind of cool, and it gives us a good starting point. So it stands for frequency, intensity, time, and type. That is an exercise prescription. So when we're prescribing exercise, we start with that, and then if we need to add in anything else, we do. So the frequency is how many days per week. The intensity is measured in the way of, say, heart rate or rate of perceived exertion. Or in strength training, it could be measured in the form of load. But it's the intensity. And then the time is how long or how far. And then the type is what type of exercise. So let's say I was making an exercise prescription for somebody for cardiorespiratory exercise. So I might say frequency, five days per week. Intensity, 75% plus or minus a couple beats of the target heart rate or maximum heart rate. The time might be 30 minutes and the type might be say jogging. All right. So that would be their prescription. Now, normally or, you know, ordinarily, we don't have to stick to that perfectly and it's kind of hard when we make it finite like that. But at the same time, the closer we stay to a plan, I believe, the more likely we are to actually achieve our goal and not do too much and get off of our goal. All right. So what I'm really talking about today as far as don't let the tail wag the dog, is the intensity. I see that so often, not really get thought about or thought about enough when it comes to aerobic or cardiorespiratory exercise. So often the tail is wagging the dog. I hear a lot of people who are trying to say qualify for different types of running events or triathlon events or things like that. And they have a goal pace in mind, which is great. I mean, that could work as long as it does really work within their fitness parameters, which I'll get to in a second. But if they are using pace or if we're using pace in our training, like we don't even have to have a a necessary goal set in mind for pace. It could just be our training workouts, we're thinking too much about pace like miles per hour or things like that. And we're not talking about the intrinsic variables, say like heart rate, which is one of the ones we all have most ready, readily accessible to us. Most of us, we have smartwatches and things like that. So if we're only thinking of the pace and not the heart rate, we're letting the tail wag the dog. So I hear of these stories say, oh, so-and-so is trying to qualify for this event. And they didn't make it. And, you know, a lot of times I think, hmm, I'm not sure they necessarily had the fitness to qualify for a certain event. But they heard a pace they have to hit or somebody else was talking about doing a certain event. And they think, well, I want to qualify for that. And then all of a sudden they go out and they run the pace it takes. I mean, maybe they've tried it in training, you know. But same thing. But they go out and run the pace that they need, but their fitness isn't there. And then, of course, what ends up happening is, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch in the physiology world either. In other words, if we don't have the fitness to propel what we want to do, the body will not let us do what we simply are not trained or able to do. So the wheels will fall off the bus, so to say. So we'll end up having to slow way down. We'll walk and we won't meet our goal because we were letting the tail wag the dog. So let's say somebody is trying to qualify for a marathon and they want to hit a certain pace or they know they have to hit a certain goal pace to do it. That's great. That is absolutely great. But if you don't have the fitness which you probably know or you can know by simply paying attention to the parameters you need to be paying attention to, such as duration and intensity, then you know to set the appropriate goal where you can run your best pace. But so often what ends up happening is that's not what happens. People try to run a pace not paying attention to their fitness And then the wheels fall off the bus. They don't hit their goal. And then they wonder why. And then they go back to the drawing board, which is great. That's the absolute right thing to do. But the problem is they go back to the drawing board that got them in the trouble to begin with. And they don't start from within. We have to start from within our own fitness. All right. So I'm just using the example of, say, marathons because I do think that it gives us the best illustration of what I'm talking about using this example. All right. So the marathon is 26.2 miles. That takes world record level individuals if they're males a little bit over two hours and females a little bit under or over two hours and 20 minutes. It takes really fast amateurs around three hours. We're talking the elites of the elites. And then You know, more average folks, so to say, although there's nothing average about running a marathon. That's the thing. I mean, running one itself is a huge accomplishment. Like you don't, I don't know, in my opinion, maybe don't necessarily need to have the validation of qualifying for other marathons. I mean, I get it if it's fun and it's something you really, a place you want to travel to or whatever, but just finishing one is absolutely great. So there's nothing average about it. But the average time, if, if we're to look at it, or the mean-medium time would be somewhere around a little bit over four hours. And then there are people that might take five hours and six hours. And, the, and, and again, that's fine. So to give you the idea, if you're not a runner, that's the times we're talking. So that's aerobic. All right, There are different energy systems that we use to resynthesize ATP. So that's considered an aerobic exercise. Anything over three minutes is considered aerobic as far as metabolism goes. So when we're aerobic, what ends up happening is we are using more fat for fuel. That's just the way it is. And we need to stay somewhere around 75, 80, maybe 85% of our maximum heart rate. And there are some variables with that, such as lactate threshold and these other variables that happen physiologically, but that's Really beyond the scope of of today's podcast. But the point is, is there's a max ceiling on how high the heart rate can really go in this event and still remain aerobic. So if we go anaerobic, if the heart rate gets too high, our body starts producing too much lactate and our system actually gets acidic and it starts slowing us down as I said earlier, there's no such thing as a free lunch and fitness either. Our body will slow us down. We can't fake the pace. We just can't. Let's say we need an eight-minute mile to qualify for, for a marathon somewhere, and we're at an eight-minute mile, but we're anaerobic to get to the eight-minute mile, meaning we are pushing harder than we can aerobically to get there. Well, the body is going to pay you back and that's actually called oxygen, oxygen deficit, meaning that for every bit you borrow from your anaerobic system to improve or increase the duration of your aerobic system, your aerobic system will then make you pay that back in the sense of it will slow you down at the same rate you sped up. It's actually really cool to look at numerically and we can measure these things. Now, when you're out running, of course, you can't necessarily measure these things unless you're one of these people that have had lactate analyzers done and all that. And and you could. It's still not very um, easy to do out training, but it's possible. But let's face it, 99 percent of people aren't going to do that. So they have to rely on heart rate and a lot of common sense. But the point here is that your body's going to pay you back. So you really can't do it. So really, to let the dog wag the tail, which is the whole point of training, is to know what your aerobic heart rate zones are. All right. And again, they typically tend to be like no higher than 80% for most people. I mean, super fit people, the aerobic system's up higher, but like they're around 80% or so. And know that what pace you can run In that heart rate zone, unless you have, again, the the ways to measure your lactate systems, you'll have to rely on heart rate, which is really good. I mean, it's it's a very good tool to use. But whatever pace that is, that's your pace. And you're going to want to try to expand that pace by training properly. But the zone doesn't change. It's just you get faster in the zone is what ends up happening that's letting the tail that's letting the dog wag the tail like that's the appropriate way to train we train within our physiological parameters and that's the whole reason why we train right we are training to bring about physiological adaptations to get better we are training a certain system but if we're letting the tail wag the dog we're not training that system it's training us And you might think, well, but if you push beyond your aerobic pace and just force yourself to hold it longer, you're training the system. But that's not correct. That's just not the way it works. The only way you train the aerobic system is by staying in the aerobic system. Because what ends up happening is there's a few things that happen. One of it is, one of them is, The longer you stay in your aerobic system, the more efficient your body gets at burning fat. And we need to be able to burn fat because long events are long events and they require fat to resynthesize ATP. The second thing that happens is when we train aerobically, the mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell, actually hypertrophies within the slow twitch muscle fibers, meaning the mitochondria gets better at receiving oxygen, but we have to be aerobic for the mitochondria to get better at receiving oxygen. So we can't trick the system. If we go anaerobic, which means without oxygen, we are not training that mitochondria to get any better. So we have to learn to wag the tail and not let the tail wag us. Now, A bigger reason why people don't like to do that is twofold. Number one, it takes time. It takes patience. You're not going to change this overnight. It's going to take a long time of disciplining yourself to train this system to get more efficient. And the second thing that gets in the way is ego, because a lot of times competitive people you know, in general, when competitive people do what they compare themselves to others most of the time. Right. And there's nothing wrong with being competitive. I think being competitive is a good edge as long as you are competing against yourself. But what ends up happening a lot of the time is people are competing against other people, comparing themselves to other people and think, well, you know, I, you know, so-and-so can do this. So I want to do this. And they just have a really hard time dropping that ego, and then they try to run at a pace that the other person runs or the pace they think they should. But the other person is running this pace aerobically because they can. They might just be conditioned enough to be able to do so. But the person who's not in the same fitness category is trying to run that same pace. And they can for brief periods of time, but they have to go anaerobic to do it. So the ego says, I can do that. But in reality, you can't or the person can't. All right. So my advice as a physiologist and trainer is to get you to train yourself. So use heart rate as a way to train you. Now, a lot of people don't like to do that. And there are some people it it doesn't work well for. I mean, you know, I I believe in the FITTs. Absolutely. I believe in measuring out the frequency, intensity, time, and type. But when I work with people. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? i give them different options to measure intensity now i will say heart rate works really really good if you can get past some of the hurdles all right so i will suggest that for most people but on the bike watts if you've got the money to put a watt meter on your bike can work well and a lot of the indoor equipment already has that so watts works really really well and there are people that use like lactate analyzers and all that. And you know, quite frankly, most likely that's this podcast isn't really, you know, speaking to them. Um, so, so there are other ways to measure that, but I think heart rate's really good. Now, a lot of people don't like to use it because they find out that they've got work to do and that's okay. As long as you are comparing yourself to other people, It's really okay, but that ego is so tough on people that it really keeps them from actually becoming their best. You don't know how many times I've written out heart rate prescriptions for people and say, well, you know, to to improve your aerobic system, you're gonna have to stay below 80% of your maximum heart rate. And I give them their zones, and let's say it's just not very high. You know, I don't know, let's say it's 140. And they strap on their old-fashioned heart rate monitor, you know, going back to the day when we use those ones across our chest. Or nowadays, they throw on their Apple Watch, which has gotten way better at measuring heart rate. Or they use their Garmin or whatever on the wrist. And they go out, and they break into a slow jog. And within three minutes, they're over 140. And they say, no way. This feels like so easy. Da-da-da-da-da. Can't be right. Can't be right. And really, think about that. It's like... Well, it is right. It's just, for some reason, your mind's made up. You're supposed to go faster. Now, look, I've been 100% guilty of this. This is why I can speak about it passionately. I've been there. And the reality is your heart rate saying, no, you do have to slow down the train. And then we let the old tail wag the dog and say, no, I can do this. And we forget that we're not always the greatest gaugers of how we really feel. I mean, we're not. I mean, some people are really, really good, but I would say most people aren't. And the more competitive you are in nature, the worse you are at it. Because chances are you can take a lot of discomfort. Chances are you've been down the road before and you've pushed through certain things So you're not very good at really identifying what is supposed to feel easy. And aerobic runs or aerobic bikes are supposed to feel pretty darn easy. You're really training that fat system to work and you're keeping that heart rate down. But again, because that ego says, oh, this is easy. And mostly it's a self-imposed thing or it's um, like a peer-imposed thing. I should run this if I'm a real blankety blank, fill in the blank, real runner, whatever. And that's just really holding you up. And I see so many overuse injuries happen because people run all the time in what we call no man's land. Not really fast enough to improve their anaerobic system, like doing intervals. Not slow enough to improve their aerobic system, like doing what we call LSD, long, slow distance runs or rides. Somewhere in the middle where they feel most comfortable. Isn't that funny? Where they feel most comfortable. But to get better at anything, we have to be kind of uncomfortable. So in the intervals, we have to learn to be uncomfortable in the form of this feels really hard. In anaerobic workouts, we have to be uncomfortable enough to deal with maybe the ego bashing of our own self. Saying, oh man, I can't believe I'm running a 10 minute mile or an 11 minute mile or a 12 minute mile. You know, whatever it might be. This is humiliating or whatever, you know. person might be thinking or some people feel kind of awkward running and jogging slower or whatever so that is uncomfortable too but to truly get better and train that system we have to do it and that's why the people who have the best chances of reaching their goals are very patient very disciplined and do it and I have had many athletes who have trained for endurance events do that it's not easy now you know we've talked a lot about that the same is true for my strength athletes or my physique athletes. So they have to train at very specific parameters as well. Like if it's a physique athlete, we don't want to burn muscle tissue off their body with doing their aerobic work. So we have to as well, keep the intensity down and probably even under 80%, closer to 70%. So we're really burning fat for fuel and keeping the intensity down. So for them, there might be this really fit rip looking person and they're on a treadmill walking at 3.5 miles an hour because that's where the heart rate says they really should be. Now they tend to be pretty good at that as a whole because I guess they're, you know, rely more on their other parts of their fitness and they, they don't shame themselves with their cardio, but they're still, will say things like it feels too easy. And it's like, well, it's supposed to feel easy and you might have to fight through a lot of boredom. It might be boring to go at a slower intensity like that. But the point is we have to listen to the heart rate and then let the paces fall where they may. All right. So that's like the biggest lesson I want you to get you know, learn where you really should be with miles per hour on the treadmill, miles per hour on the bike, which can be thrown off because of wind and and terrain and all that kind of stuff. But let your heart rate or whatever intrinsic means of intensity measurement dictate the pace and not the other way around. If your heart rate says, you know, 80% is 130 and I'm at 135, you need to slow down and not worry so much about what the miles per hour say or the speedometer says. You need to train that system. Here's the real positive news. I think this is all positive because we absolutely have control over getting better. But I have seen it so many times when people are just disciplined enough to do it. Fight through the boredom, fight through the ego, self-imposed shaming and all that kind of stuff. I continue to say self-imposed because, you know, people really aren't worried about us nearly as much as we think they are. That runner next to you really isn't looking at you going, "Oh, I should be going faster. Now, I mean, everybody's so, you know, selfish and in their own worlds, they're really not given to, you know, what's about you. It's, it's so, so, you know, we all need to not flatter ourselves and remember, we're really only doing this to our ourselves on this. So, but when we're able to stick with it and fight through it, what ends up happening is, you know, month goes by two months. It takes some time, but next thing you know, you're going faster in those miles per hour at the exact same heart rate where you used to go slower. Why? Because you had a cardiorespiratory training adaptation. And that's what happens when we wag our own tail and not vice versa. All right. All right. So let's now thank our second sponsor, which helps us put on the show because uh, we, we got to pay bills here, you know, put it on this podcast and get it on Spotify and get it on Apple and all that. You know, it's not free, but you know, that's all well and good because we have great people in the community help us. And another one is chiropractic physician, Dr. Doris Antos of Ormond Beach, we referred to her because she is absolutely phenomenal and she's hired an assistant, which is going to be great for her and help her because she's so busy because she's so good and we're lucky enough to have them on our show here very, very soon. And I'm looking forward to that. And if you need a chiropractor, please check her out. She's on Granada Boulevard in Ormond Beach and I'll put all of her information in the show notes until next time be max fit. And B-Max, well.